my magical friends. My name is Ayumi. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And you're listening to Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Whether it's your first or 75th time listening, we welcome you to our space to celebrate magical girls from every corner of the world. Happy Friday, everyone. A lot of stuff is coming back this weekend after a nice week off last week for the holidays. So I hope that you enjoy it and let's uh, move right along to today's creator episode. So before we get into today's topic, you probably will, if you have read the title of the episode, notice that today's episode title is incredibly similar to an episode we had. Now, of course, this is a mere coincidence, but I did think it was interesting because I almost had these two episodes put side by side, but I realized that would be very confusing because uh, this week we are looking at The Magical Girl's Guide to Adulting. So again, this will sound very familiar, again, very much a coincidence, but yes, so this is another Aradia Collective webcomic, and I think that you will like this one a lot. There is a lot of things about it that are really uh, unique, that really stand out. There are a handful of webcomics that take the approach of very, very limited color palettes. We just looked at a story that has lots of bright colors Tuesday, but this episode's comic is, well, purchasable and in color. If you go to Patreon over on the webtoon, you can see primarily black and white with only a splash of color here and there. So the uh, kind of variance is an interesting contrast between the two. Yes, so A Magical Girl's Guide to Adulting is a very fun story in that it is set in the future after basically all the magical girl shenanigans have already finished. So I think that you'll find the story interesting if you haven't checked it out already. And today's chat is also a lot of fun. So I talked to Patrick, the creator of the webcomic, and they're just a really, really lovely person to talk to about their story. And getting to hear more behind the scenes of the story really helped put some things into perspective. But in general, I find that this story is very relatable, and I think that they agree as well based on their testimony. But yeah, we do talk a little bit about the, uh, I guess, seriousness of being an adult, and that is something that does come up as a major theme in the story itself. So if you kind of don't want to hear about stuff like that, I suppose you can take a break this time around. But in general, I think that most people will find the story very relatable and this conversation as well. And I really, really think that more people should be reading this comic already. So, yeah, you know, as it's mentioned in the conversation itself, it has just come back from a short break that Patrick took for December. So please enjoy the comic as it is uh, back in session, if you will. <laughs> yeah, so let's go on to today's conversation with Patrick about their story. A Magical Girl's Guide to Adulting.
today we are here to talk about a magical girl's guide to adulting and i'm very excited for our guest today can you please introduce yourself uh hi i'm patrick my pronouns are he she and they i use all pronouns i'm genderqueer and i am the writer and artist of a magical girl's guide to adulting Great. Yes. And uh, this is a very interesting series, uh, definitely a very unique look at the genre. So I'm really excited to talk to you about it. But first, what is your history with the magical girl genre? So the magical girl genre has always been an interesting one for me because it was one of those ones where when I was growing up, I would only catch little bits of it. My parents really weren't that much into anime. And so like I would only catch episodes once in a while of like Sailor Moon or Cardcaptor Soccer, but I always really kind of enjoyed those a lot. And then in high school, when I met one of my friends, they introduced me to a lot of different uh, manga. And they showed me a lot of like Cardcaptor Soccer, uh, Sailor Moon, and things like Dean Angel. Mm. Like those really were something that kind of grasped onto me a lot. And then going on, in life, in the past year, I got really obsessed with like th- shows like Shira and the Princesses of Power and things like that. So it, it's just been one of those things where I kind of have been, in a sense, flirting with the magical girl genre as far as diving super deep into it. And it was only just right before I started this comic that I really started trying to be like, okay, I'm going to watch everything. <laughs> <laughs> Not haven't gotten close yet because I can't draw and read subtitles at the same time, but. Sure, sure. So like, what are some things you've checked out more recently in attempts to, I guess, try to get your history in there, you know, for inspiration? I watched Revolutionary Girl Utena recently, really like that. Before my full deep dive, I did watch Madoka Magica. I've been kind of going in and out of Sailor Moon with my wife, like going in trying to watch all of it. But there is a lot of filler in Sailor Moon. So it's hard to like... (laughs) sit down and watch all of Sailor Moon sometimes, but Mm -hmm. I like the animation of the original Sailor Moon more than I like in Crystal. Mm. And so I tend to like still lean toward that original one. And then as far as like really recently, I tried out, what is it? It was Raylith. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. I'm. Uh, Do you mean Ray Earth? Ray Earth. Yes. That's the one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then based on, well, actually one of your recent episodes in my timeline, I checked out the like secret agent one that was like, that you guys talked about not too long ago. Uh, I'm trying to find which one it was. Uh, Magical Spec Ops. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, that that one's uh, very interesting also. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't tend to make it too far in that one. Oh, that's Um, okay. (laughs) Yeah, it was too bleak uh, for me. That's fair. fair. But I've been also been wanting to catch the uh new madoka magica like the the one that's kind of a spin-off but not really but weird mm-hmm. one that i've heard a bit about i've been wanting to watch that oh yes magia of. record mm-hmm. yeah so i've been i've been just kind of dabbling here and there with a lot of things as well as trying to catch up and read a bunch of the comics that are in the uh collective and stuff mm, yeah absolutely So it's very interesting to hear that you are very recently really getting more into Magical Girls. Not to say, I mean, I think it's very common, especially depending on where you grew up, to not be able to access Magical Girls in the same way in childhood as some people. Like, 
being a side female at birth, like I grew up with everyone shoving kids shows in my face that are like super girly and stuff. So it always made sense that I would end up watching Magical Girls. But I think that not everyone gets the same opportunity to access that stuff, depending on what their parents think. So <laughs> usually it was like my older brother who would introduce me to a lot of my nerdy stuff. Mm-hmm. He liked a bit of anime. Uh, he liked Gundam and things like that. Mm. So I was always into those things. My older sister really didn't like that sort of stuff. So I didn't, in a sense, like I just never had that person who was watching Sailor Moon constantly that I could go to and be like, okay, let me watch this. Mm. And things like that. That makes sense. Yeah. Not in your circle. So it's not going to show up in your life. I mean, I certainly didn't have anyone watching Gundam in my life. So (laughs) it never even occurred to me to watch it. (laughs) But yeah, so let's get to your story. I'm very curious about, I mean, honestly, a lot of things, but, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's a very interesting take on the genre in that, of course, a typical battle heroine magical girl series we have a girl who is generally gonna be a younger teenager who is like fighting evil and all of that with her friends and usually there's also a romantic interest in all of that but this story isn't about that this is a story about a girl who was that when she was a teenager but now she is in her late 20s and trying to just figure out regular life and I just find it like such a fascinating premise. Also, even just the way that you illustrate the comic is really fascinating just because it's mostly in black and white with like just a touch of color here and there. So yeah, how did you get started with this concept? So it kind of came off of two things. One was just I was bored one day and wanted to draw. So I was looking up and I just wanted to draw more like in line of like an anime-esque style during that day. And so I was looking up different posing and stuff and I just started doodling. Hmm. And as I was doodling, I drew Molly. And I just drew this very, very tired girl and I just really liked the design. And then the other thing that really started this thing is me and my wife uh, were talking about... I always joke that if you watch an anime, the characters are always like one section older than what you think they are. So if you think they're in high school, they're in middle school. If you think they're in middle school, they're in elementary school. If you think they're in college, they're adults, so on and so forth. Mm. Oh no, if you think they're in college, they're um, high school students. I was just reading casually and I just remember looking up and finding out that Sailor Moon takes place in middle school. Mm. And I just like, in my head, I'm like, but no, this takes place in high school. That's what this was, wasn't it? And I just (laughs) ended up like going down that loop of just trying to figure out that stuff. And so... Part of my brain just then went into like, I was like, I did nothing in in middle school. I was not nearly this important. And then my brain then went to the idea of like, well, what happens if you were this important in middle school and like you save the world? What do you do after that? And then that's kind of where my brain started racking like the ideas of like, I guess this is kind of like just being a gifted kid growing up or this is kind of just like being told like, oh, you're good at one thing. And then that thing not working out for your whole life and not being something you can actually pursue in your whole life Hmm. and not knowing what to do at that point. Yeah, that makes sense. I think especially for me reading this in my early 30s, I'm like, oh, this is incredibly relatable because it's so interesting to see how, you know, Molly and her friends, we do get some glimpses of what things were like 
when they were magical girls. But yeah, they all have had such incredible gaps in their friendships and all of that. Like they're still mostly in each other's lives with a few exceptions. And then like, yeah, they're just like trying to do regular stuff. And it's like everything that they had done didn't seem to matter anymore. It does feel a little bleak, but it's also kind of interesting to see, especially in recent chapters, what has been going on. If that makes sense. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like it is bleak in a sense. And I do lean into that. But I also always am trying to be careful not to lean into like too bleak. Mm-hmm. My inspiration for most of this is like Sailor Moon-esque or Cardcaptor Sakura-esque. Mm-hmm. Like almost a, like this very positive view on things. Like this very like, no... They didn't do Madoka Magica. They weren't all getting slowly murdered. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Molly did, but that's a different story. <laughs> but, um, but like, it was supposed to be this kind of positive atmosphere. And I still want that to carry over into the modern, even though the characters are like depressed or dealing with their own just normal average day things. I still want to have this sense of like, overall positivity just because that's kind of something that I look for in things mm-hmm. but like it's one of those things where I always try to play around I base it on things that I go through or that I know other people have gone through mm. and I like the relatability but I also want to make sure that I'm not just like kicking the characters while they're down <laughs> does that make sense yeah no definitely like I think that everything is like a reasonable level of like normal I mean thinking just like in terms of like these I guess us younger millennials um, (laughs) it doesn't feel like it suits our generation like it's very much yeah that feeling of not exactly hopelessness but kind of sometimes I think that Molly's feelings are very reasonable and relatable I think more in like aimlessness yeah not necessarily hopeless but you're aimless because we grew up in a time that you you had a lot of like set schedules, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you knew what you had to do in school. You were told what you needed to do. Me, like I know there was like honors programs, things like that. And so there was always like this goal that you would always aim toward. And it helped keep you focused. It helps give you a, a purpose. And I know for me, like I, I deal with ADHD. I deal with like depression. I deal with all those kind of things. I know that like, going into quote unquote the real world and not having that set structure in in the same way kind of led me to not necessarily knowing what to do and almost feeling lost in just the amount of things that need to be done in a sense. And like, even if what I had to do back then was more, it always felt easier to do because I knew what I had to do. And that's kind of where I go with Molly, where like Molly she saved the world and like by all definitions she did the hardest things possible during that time but because she knew what she was doing it was almost easier for her to do it rather than now where now she doesn't know how to do anything because it's not something that she has a clear path for yeah definitely it makes a lot of sense she does seem like you know she's not sure what's next for her in a lot of ways and like She's trying to date and that's not working out. Like, I love, you know, all the different aspects of like, they kind of touch upon what happened in the past, like in their magical girl lives. And of course she had her trusty, like 
love interest type of hero with her but he turned out to not be interested in women after all so like they're still friends but I kind of like that aspect because like it is absolutely wild to assume that you're going to find like your true love when you're 14. Yeah, especially as an adult, it's hard to imagine. But like, you know, at that time, you definitely feel like that's real, you know, as a teenager. <laughs> so that's that that part is very, very fun. And that just came out of the idea of just like looking at like in Sailor Moon, like the fact that like Tuxedo Mask is like the reincarnation of like her old love and things like that. I'm just like, like, what if your soulmate just wasn't interested in you romantically? Mm-hmm. Like, how would that relationship work at that point? Yeah, definitely. Because it's like very, I don't know, it's like very weird to think about. But like, it's also like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because like, being told that you're destined to be with someone in any situation, just it feels like your agency is being taken away from you in a way. So it's more realistic, I guess, <laughs> for it to not actually work out that way. But yeah, like they're still friends. So it's still like, okay. <laughs> and on like a separate level and like, this is not something that's been done, like said in the comic yet. And it's not a big spoiler. So I don't mind talking about it, but like the other thing is like, they were part of a cycle. So they, these two specifically kept getting reincarnated. Oh, and the thing is, they've always died before they got this old. And so it was one of those things where even in the past, like they never got to the point where they really understood like what they were interested in, hmm. in that way, after being reincarnated. And so like this idea of just like, they they constantly got reincarnated. And that also helps lead lean into Molly's sense of like aimlessness of just like this idea of like, she knows for a fact that she's never been this old before. Ah, that's very interesting. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, and then you have like her other teammates, they all have their own, you know, different problems as well. And especially in like the recent episodes, like getting to meet up again with friends you haven't seen in a decade, which happens a lot, you know, when you become an adult that you just like suddenly lose touch with people. I've had friends I haven't talked to since high school. Yeah, same, definitely. It's very interesting to see like how that dynamic plays out where it's like, hey, suddenly we're in our lives again and uh, what happened? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, some of that hasn't been quite answered yet, but I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how that plays out. <laughs> Specifically, Kara and Zelda are like the two characters I think about with that particular storyline. And I know where their storyline goes and where it comes from. And so like, they're also the hardest to write because I have to keep a couple cards close to my chest because I don't want to reveal too much too quickly on that that front. Mm -hmm. But I also am like, okay, but like, no matter what, both of you come off as jerks at different points. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's very interesting as a reader to try to follow what's going on there. (laughs) Are you following? I just want to make sure. Am I able to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sensible. <laughs> I have read everything and it's, uh, I understand that something has happened and, you know, we don't know what it is yet. Like there's just stuff that they are not comfortable telling each other. So, yeah. We will eventually get more flashbacks from like the different perspectives on what happened, including mm. like Kara's perspective on like specific moments. Hmm, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, I can see it's like a just a lack of communication type of thing, which I guess is most conflicts. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things I like I like to go into in this comic uh, that I found like this the most rewarding to talk about in the comic is the fact that like whenever they talk about like things that happened as far as like the magical girl series as I call like the prequel series, the series that came before this that no one saw, I want them to talk about that as mundanely as possible as like, this is just something that like happened, Mm -hmm. but like things that like they deal with in the modern or like the really like in, in a sense, the mundane things to them though, are the big things because those are the things that they are not used to in the same sense. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. They almost desensitized to a lot, like life and death scenarios. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I can see that, especially with the last big conversation going on with Molly's recent date. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's very fun. Um, I was wondering, why did you decide to present the comic in the style that you did? So it's primarily in black and white, but everyone's eyes are distinctly colored. And then on occasions that we do get to see the past, that is usually in full color. So I was wondering why you decided that. It's not just the eyes. Usually I also color things that are meaningful to the characters as well. Like uh, in like Jack's flower shop is always in color. Like his flowers and, and stuff like that is always in color. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like it's a side character. Sometimes their hair or their clothing is in color rather mm. than their eyes. Yeah. The point of that is... Like, and I do color the whole thing and then I make it black and white. Oh. I do a full color version on Patreon. Ah. But that's not why I did this. I originally started this because I wanted to make a clear distinction between the past and the present. Mm. In a sense of how the characters think about the past. And they think about the past in full color because that was something that was meaningful to them. And so, like, whenever Molly thinks about something that's meaningful to her you'll notice that comes into full color or like that's when she gets a full color because she almost thinks of this past as this very much more magical and much more colorful place. Meanwhile, reality, what is the current modern is not as magical anymore. They don't deal with the same things. They don't have that same exciting life that they used to. And so in a lot of ways, it's drained out of them and only the things that bring them joy or things that they really like bring that sort of color it's it's, in a sense it's a way to kind of depict what it feels like to be depressed where it's just like it's hard to see the color in things in a lot of ways it's hard to see Mm. you might even still enjoy things like there's still things that molly enjoys but it's hard to get that same magical sense of wonder out of things and so that's kind of where i play around with color a lot is to kind of give a sense of just like this is from the perspectives of the characters another good example is when Kara and Zelda are talking they talk for a while and then as they're like talking about the past and joking around and having like a nice conversation you notice that they start to come into color and then it immediately stops as soon as like Zelda cuts off the conversation because she's still pissed at Kara Hmm. and so like it's more of to play with the idea of like noticing that the color whenever there's color that's something that's meaningful to the characters or something the characters are finding a deeper joy in yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah i definitely noticed like a few things it's like oh why is it this one but yeah that does uh, make sense yeah makes it a pain to color though because i I have to color the whole thing and, and then cut out the color bits right yeah it 
does have a very interesting effect on the story. So I think it's a really nice stylistic choice. The hardest one was the fountain. Oh, like a few episodes. That was so frustrating to do because I was like, okay, I want to make this weird ambient effect that kind of feels like the colors leaking out of the fountain. Mm. And that took way too long. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I definitely recall that because that was a very interesting thing to notice. And now that like I'm looking back at that, scene i'm noticing that only molly is in color for that part yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's molly remember and then what brings her out back into the real world was finding out his name because again it brings back the mundane yeah (laughs) that whole part is um interesting i don't know if you want to actually talk about derek i would love to talk about derek yeah (laughs) i mean he's in the comic at this point yeah yeah derek is great derek was one of the earliest character concepts i had when mm-hmm. I first was thinking, it was just this character of like, because one of my first thoughts was just like, one of the things I like about cartoons and anime and things like that is that like, there's always these senses of sometimes characters go evil and stuff like that. The me, one that comes to mind isn't anime, it's uh, Ashira, where Katra, you have this person who's done a lot of evil things, or Zuko and Avatar, who like d- does bad things, and then the- they become part of the group and everything's happy and nice mm-hmm. there, and the characters accept them. And I always laugh because there's people who are like, how could you forgive someone like that? I'm like, they're dealing with a different set of like expectations. They have a different reality where this is not as bad as like someone else. Mm -hmm. With Derek, I wanted to make a character who did awful things. Like he was evil, like capital Mm -hmm. E evil. Yeah. First villain, like all that jazz. Mm -hmm. But then like, his plan failed and he wasn't sure what to do because then power creep happened and he was wildly just out of his depth at a certain point and it was just like what do you do at that point you still have everything else like do you try to do it again when they're they're already fighting the next big villain or do you (laughs) do your own thing and so with Derek it was like he went off like went back to school for architecture got a degree and just lives his own life now yeah yeah i think it's so funny because yeah like i think it's your typical to assume especially for the big bad at the end of any arc that like you know they're gonna die right away if they they don't don't get purified and in this case he kind of woke up and was like oh you guys are already fighting a new villain well i guess i I have to just kind of go on my merry way and it yeah it's it's very interesting to think about as well because like it definitely does come up. There are plenty of Magical Girl series where villains get saved or purified or whatever. They're brought back to the side of good for one reason or another. And then it's like, okay, now what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And like, I enjoy the now what, but I also enjoyed the idea of like, this is not a character who then redeemed himself in a sense. Yeah. Like he just stop doing that one thing mm-hmm. he got therapy he was very impulsive uh, <laughs> someone who is not impulsive doesn't try to crash one city into another city it's just <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and yeah it's very funny because it's like molly and derek end up meeting each other at the dmv which is like one of the most mundane of places and i love the conversation where like because we don't know Derek's name at first for several episodes because he was like, oh, wait, you don't know my name, do you? And Molly's like, uh, sure I do. Uh, and it's it's very funny because like he's noticing like, oh, yeah, he obsessed over this magical girl his whole life. And yet she doesn't know his name. 
understanding the the difference in I guess the significance for each other but in any case like, yeah just um <laughs> it's very funny that also just plays into the idea of like sometimes like I I see villains where they just are like oh uh, yes this is the dark lord like they don't even give them their name they just are like they have that their name is the title right and that's fine it's just like okay whatever the, their name's the title like that's fine but like what if they just had this weird just normal name and just mm-hmm. were just doing their own thing <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's no offense to any Derricks out there i just find the name <laughs> completely average <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i guess it is kind of an average name i don't know i've I don't know any Derricks, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> I think I know, like, maybe one Derek in my mm-hmm. entire life. And I think, it's, like, it's just, like, a normal person. I He might have actually been an architect. Wait, <laughs> I, that might have been just a complete, like, I, I have to double check that. But I'm like, wait, uh-huh. I might be getting confused, but I'm like, oh, no, wait a second. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure there's probably a Derek somewhere in my family if I look around for some cousins or something. Not to say that it's a boring name. I think it's it's a fine name, but yeah, definitely it's average. It's not boring, nor is it like exciting. It's just a name. Yeah. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, it's not supposed <laughs> to be something completely boring or awful. It's just like, it's just a name. And that kind of mm. is where the fun comes from. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking about like other shows I've watched recently where the villains don't have names and it's it's usually because it is a title or something. And uh it's interesting to think about like them being just just a dude. I don't know. <laughs> like in a lot of cases there's really not really a scene where the villain's like, "Hello, yes, my name is this. Pleased to meet you. I will be your villain today." Yeah. Like usually it's just like they're in the middle of their plan and the hero shows up and it's just like when does the name gets exchanged? It doesn't most of the time. And so... Yeah, usually it's just the lackeys that have names, I think, typically speaking. But, like, the very big bads, not so much. <laughs> and especially, like, the big bads of, like... In, in my case, like, in the big bads of, like, early seasons. Mm-hmm. Where it's, like, they're not the big, big bad. They're just, like, a stepping stone big bad. Mm-hmm. They might just have a title. Like, they're not even the the main antagonist of the story. They are kind of like a middleman in the story in a weird mm. way that, like, other characters do not. Like, like, characters might have a much more intimate relationship with, like, a one-off villain that they just met in, like, like, who was just, like, a lackey than they would have with, like, the middle big bad that they go through. Because it's just like they just don't deal with them as in the same way that they deal with either the biggest bad or like those lackeys. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Thinking about like, well, like for Precure, for example, like obviously it's a huge show. There are a billion seasons. The very first like season, the villain was just called the Dark King. Like that could not be more generic and like indistinct like more recently there are definitely like more distinct themes to the villains and so on and i think the same thing is true for like the tokusatsu series the girls heroine shows where the very first season it was just the demon king and then it's like okay we don't have a name for him or anything we don't know anything about him i think that the conventions definitely change as any series like progresses but yeah, like those first villains are usually not as interesting as later seasons. 
Well, in a sense, because like in those first seasons, you're so focused on building these characters out. Mm -hmm. Like your focus is less on the big bad and more on like, well, we need to establish these protagonists. You almost need something generic for them to fight to really get that first step through so you can have these characters who you're you're more interested in rightfully so they're the the protagonists but like you're not thinking about the first big bad because it's they're literally just there for a plot device to grow these heroes Hmm. like oftentimes i just find that like early season bad guys in a lot of shows are just they don't have these in-depth motivations Mm -hmm. as much as like later ones go especially ones where they're in team-based shows and things like that Mm mm-hmm Or like the middle arc villains are really like, I don't remember the Black Rose arc villain's name in Utena. (laughs) I I would bet firm money that most people do not think about that villain, like at all. When they think about Utena, they go through it and they're like, oh yeah, this villain exists and he's okay. But then the last villain, I've never heard anyone talk about the middle arc villain or even the first arc villain for the matter, but at least they stick around. But I've Mm -hmm. never heard anyone talk about the middle arc villain in Utena but I've always heard them talk about like the final villain and things like that. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I guess hmm, I have not been deep enough in Utena fandom to think about that, but it's certainly like when you start to look over the full course of a series, people tend to remember the first stuff a little bit, but mostly it's the end because the end is always the most exciting. The stakes are the highest and so on. Yeah. We never take the time to think about how the older villains feel about that. <laughs> exactly. Like in this one, not all of the villains survived, but there's a couple ones that just didn't die. And like, what do they do afterwards? They they just start a bowling team. They relax. Like hmm. they can't do anything. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to help the hero. They don't like the hero still, but they're, <laughs> they're not going to do anything else. They're like, I'm not helping the bad guy, but I'm not going to help the hero here. Yeah, Exactly. We recently talked about uh, Sailor Moon R, and in that series, like the first set of villains in that in the arc, like they don't die, but they like become very much very normal people who like have regular jobs and stuff. They just like become normal adults, <laughs> and they start a store, and it's like oh okay, and they're not really important anymore compared to like the final villain of that particular season. But yeah, it's like, it's very interesting to see um, what effects those characters have. And those characters happen to have like names and stuff. They're a bit more distinct in that way. Their title was like a group title instead. So it's a little different, but still like, it's interesting to think about (laughs) for sure. Yeah. So Molly meets Derek as she realizes his, that's his name. And, you know, by the time that she gets his name, they've totally been on this, like, full date. And she's really into it. And, like, they even get to kiss and everything. And then it's like, wait. It turns out that, uh, I think it was Jack that saw them together while they were on the date. And was like, wait, what the hell is going on? Yeah, because Jack was on his own date, which is yeah. a storyline that will eventually get resolved there, too. But mm. definitely left his date to go deal with this thing. <laughs> which is his own issue hmm. but jack sees it and just is like wait no <laughs> yeah it's very interesting to see how uh how everyone reacts you know to this news i think jack's story so far is also very interesting i love the whole scene with him like getting asked out and like not realizing <laughs> that was really fun 
it's interesting to see him trying to figure out his own self and like what he wants while dealing with this you know whole destiny thing with molly that's got to be super awkward (laughs) exactly like what do you do when like we we see a lot from molly's perspective but from jack's perspective like he made a huge commitment to this person and he's just not interested in them in like a romantic sense and like it's just like but he's literally so linked to them forever Mm -hmm. and like no matter what they're always going to be important to each other and so how do you manage that sort of relationship Mm. and deal with that yeah definitely (laughs) it's very interesting i'm looking forward to seeing how jack's story plays out but of course right now as of i guess the most recent update we have this whole thing going on with uh, everyone freaking out <laughs> that um, Molly went on a date with the villain. And I thought it was so funny how they were like, hey, um, he tried to kill you. And the others were like, wait, so did all of you at some point because everyone was turned evil at some point in their own storyline. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. And Harry actually did. Yeah. <laughs> that's also just comes from the idea of just like like in so many shows do you have like these especially in filler Mm -hmm. like in in shows that have filler there's always these those moments where like oh no this character's evil and it's not something that was actually part of the story it was just to fill some time or something like that Mm -hmm. and so i always just like the idea of just like yeah no every one of her friends turned evil at one point yeah and that like makes sense for one reason or another that happens a lot like the other ton in cheek joke that I have is that the thing that I've stated to like my friends and stuff is I'm like, I am taking this as if every filler episode in Sailor Moon was completely canon. Mm. Like, like it wasn't ignored later. Like they all remember every single filler thing. And like the joke that I have is that there were three different vampires and they're all distinctly different types of vampires. One's an alien, one's an actual vampire. One is like this weird ghost or this, uh, this painting like that. Like there, there's three different vampires in their mythology and they all know the differences, the strengths and weaknesses of each one of them. (laughs) Yeah. So who is the target audience for your story? Honestly, people like us. <laughs> so, <laughs> the original target audience is like late 20s and early 30s, right? Because mm-hmm. like that's the people who Molly is, really. Mm. And also like for me, it's like those are the people who grew up watching Sailor Moon and like things like that. So there's also this a- extra thing of like, yeah, well, they watched this growing up and now it's like them right now. They were trying like they're supposed to relate to Sailor Moon back then. They can relate to Molly now and so on. Though the other day, the weirdest thing happened. Uh, so I was doing an art show and like I was selling prints of like my fan art and things like that, as well as like some stuff of Magical Girl. And someone came up to the booth and was like, oh my God, I read that. And I'm like, wait, what? And so uh, it was someone who actually is subscribed to it on Webtoons in this like small little art show where I live. Someone there already read it and was a huge fan of it. Uh, and it was interesting, like, they were, like, 18 mm-hmm. and stuff. And they were like, no, I relate to a lot of things that's already going on. And in my head, I'm like, really? Okay, that's interesting. So, like, in a sense, I also think that there is a part of the demographic that still does skew younger. Mm-hmm. Even if I mainly aim older, I do think that there is a demographic between, like, maybe 17 and up that will also relate to this because at the end of the day, this is a coming of age story in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. of characters trying to just understand what do they do now? And so like there is 
kids who deal with that sort of stuff and yeah. like they can still relate to some of this stuff even if like they don't necessarily relate to necessarily doing their taxes or things like that like <laughs> they can relate to like the ideas behind things they still do feel like depression they still get anxiety about talking to someone they have a crush on or that they find attractive mm -hmm. or, or even just like they've had friends that have hurt them and like it stinks and how do you talk to that and how do you deal with friends who might have done toxic things or bad things to you and how do you negotiate that yeah definitely i think it's really interesting to see because i think it's the same thing like with even just podcast listeners and stuff there are a lot of millennials um but there are also a lot of people who are quite younger and i think that it's interesting to think about it makes me want to think about like you know when i was 18 in college like how did i think about adulthood how did i think about like childhood and yeah, I think that makes sense that like things get kind of blurry after a while in adulthood where in terms of age and like life experience. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. But that's it must have been super awesome to be able to meet a reader uh, at that show. It was like the weirdest and most surreal experience because like you don't think that like, again, my comic isn't big yet at all. It like has like 281 uh, followers on webtoons as of this recording and in the grand scheme of the world that's less than like a pebble in an ocean and so the <laughs> idea that like someone who just like was on webtoons canvas who reads the comic who enjoys the comic and who went to this one art show in the middle of like it is a very small art show like only like 20 people were there really and that they read it and were like a really big fan of it and really liked it. And it meant something like that was just one of the most surreal experiences of my life. Cause I went in with like stuff for it fully expecting to be like, Hey, you should definitely check this out on here. I printed out a version of the comic so people could read it at least the beginning of it and like, be like, Hey, you should totally read it and go online and check it out. I didn't expect someone to be like, no, I already have. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome though. For sure. By the way, are you planning to release print versions of the comic in the future? Probably. Depending on how the comic goes, I'm still trying to get my bearings with it. But it is something that I have had some people express interest in, uh, mostly friends and stuff. But like people have expressed interest in. It would take a while because I would want to redo a couple of the beginning chapters and mm. like definitely the text in the original in the beginning of the thing, just like adjust it a little bit just to make it look neater because i as the comic has gone on you can tell that i've gotten better at actually you know making webcomic so i want to like go back and just clean it up a little bit and make sure they like it looks nice uh before mm -hmm. i were to like actually publish like a real version of it and i would also have to the weird thing about my comic is that it's I have to really figure out where's the cutoff, like where's the like how long is each issue, mm. how many are there are there? Do I put print the whole thing at once? Do I print just sections of it? And so there there's a lot of questions that go into that when I'm thinking about it. That makes sense. Thinking about like how the story starts, it feels like a bunch of like little mini stories. So it's not really like a cohesive narrative structure that's going on throughout. It's just like these little scenes of different adulting things that Molly is going through but then you know has eventually become an actual narrative structure and it feels very like natural as well so well, yeah it was like 
when I was writing it, I, I, I didn't really picture this as like a big old story at first. I just was like, oh, vignettes, this would be a funny little encounter. But like, as I wrote it, I was like, no, I really like these characters. Let me deep dive it a little bit more. And then I became much like, as I was going, I was like, no, I really like this story that I have here. And I like these characters and how they might be dealing with things. And so I started expanding it out from there and figuring out like, there was a solid month that I took off in the beginning where I was just like, okay, I need to sit down. I need to understand where they were, what happened in the past and then where they're going and like, how did their arcs form? What does this mean? Where are they currently? Because obviously like if we're going off the assumption that like there was a series before then there had to have been growth from where they started there to where they ended. And then how did they get from there to here? Hmm. And so there was a lot of like me figuring out exactly where everything goes to the point where I'm like, oh no, I have the entirety of the like quote unquote prequel series completely planned out. I know exactly where everything happens, how it happens, who did what, when, and like how how does that revolve around these characters? It's there's still some things that change, but for the most part, like I have that locked so that I could better have these characters communicate in the modern where they are talking about things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it is really interesting to see. And it's kind of fun because, like, the beginning does feel like it makes me think of, like, reading, like, I don't know, uh, a newspaper funny, I guess, <laughs> you know. But yeah, now it has become the thing where it's like, oh, I want to know what happens next because there's actually, like, starting to be a, a structure to things. And there's definitely points where I'm going to go back and do some vignettes in between just because I think that they're really good for showing character moments mm-hmm. uh, even if it, like they're not story moments but it's just one of those things where there always has to be a balance of like well how, when do I progress the story and when do we focus on the characters a little bit because I kind of in my mind it's always like okay let's set up characters let's set up this thing establish a status quo sit in that for a little bit and then the next like disruption happens and then we have to figure out what the new status quo is sit in that and then another disruption and like that's how I kind of approach it, such as like the status quo beforehand was Molly, Jack, Zelda, and Harry all like they hang out and stuff. And then, and then Kara comes in and then how does that change things? Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, uh, it's interesting to see where things are going. It does feel like a bunch of stuff is about to be revealed, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, no, there's still a bit to reveal. Like I don't, I'm not going to necessarily go into like how Harry killed Molly just yet. Like that's something that comes in later when they have a storyline, but like, it's a matter of like going in and being like, well, when does it make sense for this to be revealed in the story? And how does that talk about the characters Hmm. and like where they want to go? Yeah. I understand that. But yeah. So is this your first kind of like web web comic or comic in general? Uh, no, okay. but I don't talk about the old ones. Uh, the old ones I did like Snack G's back in the day. Oh, okay. And they were Sprite fan comics, not good at all. Hmm. Like, like just like overcomplicated fan comic things that you do when you're in middle and high school that you think, oh my god, I'm the best writer in the world. <laughs> I, I can do so many good things. But I mean, I don't like, I don't regret doing any of that because that's what led me to doing art in general is because I started doing those. And I'm like, wait, I like, do- I like drawing. And then I kept drawing. I'm like, well, I like doing this. I like telling stories and so on and so forth there. Hmm. 
But uh, this is definitely the one that I actually care about the most. As a fan. <laughs> so we have, you know, about 30 something episodes out now. How long do you see this story going? Uh, I actually do not know if that's like about like, because it's one of the things where I don't know how long it is. I haven't really like I know a point that they're going to. Let's put it that way. I know mm-hmm. like I know major story beats. But it's a matter of, like, how much do I spread them out and what happens between that. And so a lot of ways I want to leave it open to doing for a while just because, A, I enjoy it. And, B, I feel like there is still a lot of room for these characters to grow. And I personally, and something that I just like a lot, is, like, I like seeing characters grow over time and seeing how they change and having them deal with all these different situations. And even though I know like big plot points that will come up, I want to make sure they are spread out evenly enough that I can give time to breathe for each bit of those things, especially since at the end of the day, like there isn't going to be like this massive battle at the end. There isn't going to be this giant like, mm. oh no, we have the fate of the world to fight because <laughs> they've already done that. It's or It's been done. The idea is more just like, well, what is the point? And like, it comes back to like us as adults, like what is the point where you feel comfortable as an adult? And like, mm. what, where is that end point? And like, that's kind of the question that I want to keep asking. I want to ask. And so I don't necessarily have a idea about like how long that will be i'm kind of again i don't it's not that i don't have a direction that i'm aiming in it's more though that i'm trying to leave it open to see what other things might come in and grow Hmm. within that direction there's some story ideas that i didn't think of originally that i'm like no i really like focusing on this and so i want to do more with that i want to tell more stories with this particular character and see where this goes there's a couple different ideas there but i do have a goal so who knows how long it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Maybe it's also just inherent to the the nature of the kind of story that's being told here that it's a little up in the air, but that's exciting because we can just keep reading. <laughs> Are you interested in doing other magical girl stories or other comics even outside the genre? As part of like my Patreon, I am doing the prequel series. Oh, like, okay. Because I already have that all kind of in my head about where that goes. And some things have changed because I just think of like more interesting ways of going about things. And luckily I'm vague enough in the comic that I'm like, it's not uh, contradicting because I have not actively said it was this way yet. So <laughs> that's nice. But as far as like that, like I, I do actually want to go in and do that. That's going to be a much slower update schedule as I'm like once, like it's going to be like one section like one not a page but like one section grouping Mm. a month and i am hopefully and i've i've talked about this on my patreon on some discords that i'm in but like i'm hoping that i can get that going by march where i can Mm. get ahead enough in the thing where i can release like i want to get like two issues down ready to go and release the release one in march and then like and release it once a month and that way i can get ahead on that hmm because another thing I'm doing, like, you told me this is releasing in January. We're talking before that. But, like, December has just passed. And I took that entire month off if we're in the future. <laughs> but it's not really taken off. Like, A, I have guest artists who are very lovely and, and said that they would do a guest art comic for me during that time to keep the update schedule going. 
but during that time I'm planning on getting ahead or planned on getting ahead verbs mm. are weird in the future <laughs> but plan to get ahead because right now i do it do it week to week and i am up every week literally till like 3 a.m finishing a comic before it goes up that day oh my and God. i'm like never again not doing that want to get ahead so that i can actually sleep and enjoy my life mm-hmm. uh and make sure that i i don't need to worry about like is the comic going to be able to make it out do i want to do that so like I have those two goals in mind of like get ahead in this and publish this and get ahead of the magical girl one and publish that. So the prequel one is going to go up on Patreon as Patreon mm. exclusive, at least for a while. Uh, I, I probably will print that one and have that one at art shows and stuff to sell to people if they're mm. interested. I have to see how that one goes. Mm. And then the the main one that I'm getting ahead of. As far as other stories, I have like three different ones. I have one that's about like just like growing up as a kid and it's more of just like a slice of life kind of Hey Arnold-esque thing. Hmm. So I like that one. I also have a mech one because I just like mechs and I think we (laughs) should have more mechs. And so that Hmm. one is actually probably the most likely one I would do if I were to like, if I had the time and had the ability to do it at a certain point, it's definitely one I would love to jump into because I would love to do just this super actiony mech one because I find that stuff fun. I also really like action scenes, hmm. which is funny for me because I'm like I love action scenes, and yet the comic that I'm doing, my one thing is like, nope, you're not doing big super action scenes beyond like within a mundane version of it because that's not <laughs> the point. <laughs> yeah, definitely, that's very interesting. Well, definitely looking forward to those whenever they come out. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. That's... Yeah, great. So is there anything else you wanted to tell the audience before we go about the story? Uh, so if you're reading it currently, keep an eye out because I am excited about the next story, like the next two storylines. The storylines don't tend to be that long by comparison, but like I, I am very excited about where the story is going uh, about like characters that might be coming back. Something I, I do want people to keep an eye out for is in the past, there are five magical girls. One of them has not come back yet. Erin hmm. is a, going to be a very interesting character when she does come back. And that's going to be a fun one to look out for. Hmm. And I think the only other one thing I would like to say is Derek, when he crashed and thing, he had two demons with him. They're not gone. They still exist. They're still around. <laughs> Okay. Mm, I <laughs> so see. they're gonna show up too, and they, they are also they have quickly become like as far as like notes because I haven't fully written them, but like notes I have, they are quickly some of my favorite characters. To show up <laughs> so I'm hoping that they they hit accord the same way that Derek surprisingly did. I didn't expect Derek to be as popular as he was. Hmm. So I'm very happy about that. Yeah. But yeah, now that's all I really have as far as like stay tuned of cool stuff in the future (laughs) yeah definitely uh looking forward to to both those reveals (laughs) Hmm. we have our final question here which is do you have a magical persona for yourself uh have you met molly (laughs) (laughs) i I joke around that molly is pretty much just me uh because there's a lot of me that goes into molly and hmm. so in a lot of ways, Molly is just what my, if I were to have a magical girl persona, it would be Molly <laughs> in a lot of ways. Hmm. Mind you, Molly is also based on like, 
obviously Sailor Moon and also Nick Miller from New Girl, the sad Peter Parker from Spider-Man, uh, the Miles Morales Spider-Man movie. Spider-Man. Oh, okay, yeah. All those are like aspects that go into Molly, but like for a lot of it, it is there's a lot of aspects of Molly that are drawn directly from me. Hmm. Again, she's different enough that I don't mind doing mm-hmm. a lot of different things with her, but I'm like, like there is definitely parts that I put into her because I was, I need to relate her to something. And so I, I'm going to go on a slight tangent here, if that's okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's fine. One of the things that I like really find important in storytelling is drawing from what you know. Mm-hmm. And so like, uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, everything that's going on. Like I, I obviously never fought magical girl armies, but I do know what it's like to, be in your late 20s and not necessarily know what direction you want to go in life and having the thing that you were the one thing that you were good at the one thing that you actually found a lot of joy and happiness in be something that is not working out as far as like a career path and so like it's something that like I do find a lot of relation and like I, I write that kind of like hey, sometimes this is tough and how do you deal with that into Molly and those kind of struggles into Molly because those are something I can draw upon. Hmm. Uh, I have an endless wellspring of that. (laughs) But because of that, and I think that is also one of the reasons why I think there's people who relate to Molly in a lot of ways is because while none of us can relate to saving the world when we were 13, we could probably all relate to Things feeling easier when they were younger, even if it was harder or or feeling like you were more on top of things when you were like 14 than when you were 24. Hmm. And so like that's that's kind of where I drew. That's why I say like Molly is my magical girl persona, because a lot of the struggles she goes through are struggles that are similar to mine. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Sometimes when I read your story, I feel very called out. <laughs> well, that's the goal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is the absolute 100% goal. I do believe in birds. Molly does not, but I do believe that birds exist. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the goal is for people to feel called out because I'm like, this is stuff that we all go through and we all just can under fundamentally understand just sitting there looking at like the milk dropping and pouring out and just not wanting to do anything because it's just like I'm just gonna sit down and cry for a minute (laughs) it's not the end of the world but my god it feels like it is yeah definitely so thank you again for coming on the podcast and uh, where can people find your work and how can they support you so a couple places you can find the comic on webtoon canvas I haven't really made a website for it yet. Not sure if I'm going to, just because I'm not sure if I want to put that effort in yet. But the comic can be found on Webtoon Canvas, as well as a link to the Patreon there if you want to directly support the comic, which gives a lot of different access, including full-color comics, sketches, and voting on like fan art and the character profiles that I do hmm. that get published on my Instagram and Twitter page. Where is another place you can find me? Uh, so my Twitter handle is at TalesGod. Or if you want the Twitter for the comic, I have a separate one for that. That's all specifically stuff about the comic. And that's at AMG2A comic on Twitter. And then mm-hmm. my Instagram is Patrick McCabe AC uh, with like the dashes between each word, the little underscore things. Mm-hmm. And I oftentimes I'll just post 
art there. I'll post updates of like when the comic comes out. I'll post like a, hey, the new comic is here. As well as just posters or character profiles of the different characters. Uh, as I do little character cards for each of the characters hmm. as they go on. Like their little gotcha game kind of character cards that you might get. <laughs> so I've been, I've been doing that and that, that's been a lot of fun. And then if you just like art and you just want to support me that way, I also have an Etsy, which you can find through my Twitter as well, which is uh, Cat Guardian Illustrations on Etsy, where I sell any of the prints that I don't sell at art shows. So like fan art or even posters of the comic itself. Great. Yeah. And I'll definitely have links to all of that in the show notes so people can just uh, click on over and, and do that. Yeah. <laughs> thanks again for coming on and no thank you so much yeah i hope you have a good rest of your day i hopefully will i'm gonna go have dinner i'm gonna yeah. make tacos Ooh, sounds good <laughs> oh, have a lovely one thank you again for having me on yeah Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sparkle Sight Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you like it, and don't forget to tell your friends about the show if you think they'd be interested. If you use social media, don't forget to use the hashtag Sparkle Sight Chats when talking about and sharing the podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Magical Girl Ayu, spelled A Y U, and you can find me at Ayu She Knows. A-Y-U-S-H-E-K-N-O-W-S. You can also email us at sparklesidechats at gmail.com. Let us know if there's a topic you want covered or a fan or creator you want to hear from by filling out the form in the show notes. You can also join the Discord for this podcast to talk about Magical Girls 24-7, often chatting directly with me and both previous and upcoming guests of the podcast. You can also find that link in the show notes. Show notes can be found on your platform of choice or at anchor.fm slash sparkleside. If you can support the podcast financially, you can buy me a coffee at co-fee.com slash ayushinos. You can also support me directly as an artist there. I do commissions and also sell prints on imprint. Another way to support us one time is by buying something off the Amazon Japan wishlist. This helps with getting more access to Magical Girl content that we can discuss in future episodes. Feel free to purchase from the You section as we are not picky here. Original podcast music is by Hazel. You can find her on Twitter at A Few Bruises. Thanks again for listening, and remember, you are magical. <laughs> <laughs>